0: Social Impact Consulting exists to improve the efficiency of social impact initiatives, and here at 180DC, social impact and the mission of helping marginalised and disadvantaged communities is a core value. The same sentiment is shared by our special guest today, Janani. Janani is a social impact analyst at Deloitte Access Economics, where her work involves analysing and evaluating programs in health economics and social policy. Welcome to the podcast, Janani, and thank you for taking the time to join us here today.
1: So, just to start off, Janine, could you tell us about your background and journey to your current role?
2: Hi, Pip and David. Firstly, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. It's a privilege to talk about my career and role as a program evaluation and social impact analyst. It's been a bit of a journey to get where I'm at today. So, I did my undergrad graduate degree in pharmacy. So I started my career as a pharmacist working community pharmacy in both metropolitan and regional Victoria. And as a pharmacist, I realized that while medications are incredibly important for many reasons, the root cause of health inequities cannot be fixed with medications. There are several structural and systemic issues that drive poor health outcomes, including education, housing, and access to health services, including culturally appropriate services. And and the list goes on. I later learned that there is a word for this and it's called social determinants of health. This encouraged me to pursue a master's in public health, and through the course, I learned about program evaluation and learning about how important it is as a part of quality improvement and informing decision making. My passion for evaluation just continued to grow. And in my final semester of uni, um, at the time I was volunteering in an evaluation team at Chase, which is a not for profit to improve health literacy among disadvantaged high school students. And the evaluation manager knew I was looking for work and recommended this role at Deloitte for me. So I applied and got the job. And I must admit, I did not start my career thinking I would end up in consulting. In my head, I thought Deloitte was just an auditing company.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think before coming to uni, I also thought like the big four was just like a tax auditing company and stuff like that. And little did I know just how, how, how far their reach is in like every part of like, um, the economy. But um, could you tell us a little bit about your current role as a program evaluation and social impact analyst?
2: Yeah, um, definitely. So whenever I tell people that I work in evaluation and social impact, they're like, what does that even mean? So I'm glad <laughs> we're doing this podcast so I can just send them a link in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so evaluation as it is, is a process that critically examines a program. And when you add social impact in the mix, we're looking to see if the result, if that has resulted in any significant or positive change that solves or at least addresses social injustices and challenges. So it's really important to see if programs or initiatives are effective to allow organizations to understand if they should continue to invest in what they are doing or determine if there are any opportunities for room of improvements to enhance the impact of the program. So the scope of my work is not just in relation to health as we know it, but also includes the broader social determinants of health, like I mentioned earlier. So on a day-to-day basis, my role involves end-to-end delivery of evaluations. So this includes planning, so where research is undertaken to understand the program, understanding the client's objectives for the evaluation and developing an evaluation framework to guide the evaluation Implementing the evaluation, so this is where the data collection and analysis is conducted, which typically involves like a literature review, survey. We might do like focus groups or ethnographic research, um, and reporting and dissemination. So this is delivering the evaluation findings and recommendations to the client, which is typically in the form of a report.
0: Right. Um. You speak about social determinants of of health. I was just wondering, um, what are some examples of that?
2: Yeah. So. There are quite a few examples of social determinants of health and how it's not just a person's physical being that influences their health, but how the social, socially as a whole, There are other influences of health. So, for example, education, say, for example, if someone was growing up in a disadvantaged community where they did not have access to proper education. So maybe they didn't have access to like a private school with better quality educations or um, they had access to a public school. But then there were maybe like lack of teachers or resources Mm -hmm. to assist them, to push them to their greatest potential might result in them having like lower health literacy, and therefore that also has a flow-on effect to their health. So, there are right, that absolutely. is just one example. Housing is another example. Say so someone doesn't have access to a a house with like heating, and that just makes them more prone to other health issues. So those are just, like, two of the key examples, but there are also things like wealth and um, access to health services Mm -hmm. and other, like, culturally appropriate health services. So, for example, especially, I might get into this later on as well, but with Indigenous communities and them having access to culturally appropriate health services, that is quite a significant issue in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, But... um, yeah there's definitely improvements recently but that we do have a long way to go to address it
0: right okay yeah yeah so there's all these other confounding variables that yeah. might affect a person's health yeah
2: exactly yeah. and i think we all just always look at the physical but then it's just so much more than just the physical being. absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um
1: so what are some examples of the types of clients that you'll often work with
2: yeah so in terms of clientele we typically engage with the public service not-for-profit or commercial clients so there are reasons for why they may engage with the consulting firm, and it is dependent on the type of evaluation that they are seeking. So um, just as a brief summary, there are five main types of evaluation. There's like the formative evaluation, where you're evaluating a program during the development stages to make early improvements and refine the pro- refine or improve a program. Um, There's summative evaluation, so you're looking at the effectiveness of the program. So this is used to decide if the organization should continue and or expand the program. There's process evaluation, so this focuses on the implementation of the program. So understanding if everything went as planned and understand what the inefficiencies in the delivery of the program are to allow to identify opportunities for improvements and also accurately portray the program's operation to external parties. So if another organization looks at this evaluation, they might be able to replicate the program and implement it in their setting. There's also outcomes evaluation. So this is looking at the attitudes, behaviors, and practices that has resulted from the program activities. So looking at what are the clear benefits of the program. and there's also impact evaluation, which is focuses on long-term sustained changes as a result of the program activities. So both positive and negative and intended and unintended intended outcomes um or impacts and these are typically done to see how they can influence policies
0: yeah right and so like as the evaluation and social impact analyst what are some of the main methods used to evaluate or measure social impact
2: yeah so there are many different methods out there to measure to evaluate and uh, measure social impact and they're usually based on quantitative and qualitative data and sometimes they include both so um quantitative Tells us the numbers, and that's collected through surveys and existing databases. And qualitative data tells us the story behind the number, and that's done through like interviews, focus groups, um, observations, and like documents. So there are a few different analysis techniques that we use with the data to inform the evaluation findings, and the main ones being like thematic analysis. So where you identify common themes, topics, ideas, or patterns that come up in the qualitative data. And it's really useful to tell us like what different stakeholders or different users of the programs are telling us about the program and how can this inform the evaluation objectives that the clients are after. Um, There's also like contribution analysis, which is like a systematic approach to identify the contribution of a program to a particular outcome. Um, and then there's social return on investment as well, which is a method of assigning monetary values to change being created by activities of an organization. Um, and this is true like environmental, social, or um, other change that they are trying to see within an organization. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, And would you say that these are fairly reliable methods or do you see better ways to measure social impact of businesses being used in the future? Yeah.
2: Um, that's a really good question. I'll say at present the methods are available are reliable because these methods have been tested rigorously and if used accurately it is reliable. Um I think the issue comes at hand more when it comes to data availability. A lot of a, t- a lot of the times there is lack of data available to accurately measure social impact and it's definitely getting better but there is room for improvement to improve the culture around systematically collecting data for the purpose of Evaluation and measuring social impact,
0: and just on the data availability uh, problem, would you say some most of this problem arises from the people who are running the program and their like ability to collect data consistently?
2: Yeah, that's definitely it. Like, I guess the people that are running the program, they have a lot of things going on, and you, most of the times the focus is on the people right in mm-hmm. front of them. Data is not a big focus, but I think it's important to educate and inform um, the people running the program how important that data is for evaluation because if you don't have the data to evaluate, that's going to impact your funding Absolutely. and the expansion of the program. So yeah. that is yeah generally the case. There is a lot of... like There has been an improvement around data collection. I think that is definitely a lot of more awareness around it now compared to previously, but there is still a lot of room for improvement yeah, to get right. there.
0: Do you think that there should be some kind of standardized um like framework that all of these like ngos and whatnot should follow
2: um i think having a standardized framework will be quite tricky like ideally there is a framework with room for flexibility just Mm -hmm. because every organization works in a different way so if there is some sort of like guideline that someone can tailor to their organization that will be very helpful Mm -hmm. i think on the standard things um i think if like someone is starting a program, it is quite helpful as well from the start to look to think about evaluation because that is something that needs to be done eventually. Yeah. Especially if you're getting funding from the government or from any other sources, they always want to see proof that what they have funded is actually producing an outcome. So yeah. it really needs to be thought about from the start.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And like aside from the data issue, what are some other challenges that you might face sometimes when like, let's say you're, trying to evaluate a program or like you know, measuring you know, the impact and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, so yeah, aside from data availability, I guess a lot of the times things don't necessarily go as planned. Mm-hmm. So that is a key challenge that we always face. You might plan everything at the start, say, for example, with COVID. Um, nobody predicted that and there was a bunch of evaluations that were planned throughout the time. So a lot of people had to pivot to virtual forms of engagement. And that is still happening now as well, especially with the lockdown they were so unpredictable so you might have planned for something in person and then having to pivot to virtually and that's just one example sometimes you plan to talk to one stakeholder and they're busy with other competing priorities and um, yeah there's just a lot of challenge around um, I guess planning like we do try and plan rigorously for the evaluation but we do also have to be quite flexible in our approach to um, yeah, carrying out the evaluation. No, definitely.
0: Plans don't always go. No, the definitely way you want them not. To.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so just circling
1: back to like measuring social impact. Um, when you're evaluating the impact of a program, what are some key things that you would look for, and how do you go about um, like assessing this?
2: Yeah. So there is no one key thing to look for when we are evaluating. There's so many factors that come into play when evaluating the impact of the program and just to name a few it's like could be the evaluation objectives it's something that we always look for the readiness of the organization to evaluate the impact so seeing if they have actually collected the data to evaluate the impact and it's totally dependent on the type of organization that you're evaluating what are the types of impact that they're measuring and so it's very context dependent when it comes to evaluating the impact of the program Mm -hmm. yeah
0: i think yeah that's very true because, again, as you said before, organisations have many different ways of doing things and so is there a lot of judgement on your side when you look at you know different programs that you have to make as an analyst
2: yeah there is i mean there is a fair bit of judgment from outside and i'll say it's like a very much team-based approach you know like we have like managers and senior analysts that i also work with Mm -hmm. and it's very much a team-based approach and we do always run things through with our client because especially in my role we're coming in as an external evaluator we don't we haven't been in the program and we haven't seen the full cycle of the program from development to end. So we do typically, that is things that we always propose to clients, but we do definitely work a lot with clients to make sure that we are doing the right thing. And um, from their perspective as well, it's really important because they've seen things from start to finish and we've just, um, we're just coming in at the end to, or in the middle to evaluate. So. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah, it's very important to work together rather than just judgment from our side.
0: Absolutely. Well since that, that you work so closely alongside your clients and stuff, what do you believe are some of like the key aspects that drive the success of particular programs? As like, what would you say are some of the key differences between like successful ones and unsuccessful unsex- su-
2: ones? Yeah, um, so that's a really tricky question to answer because when it comes to social impact reporting, it's not a binary measure of successful versus unsuccessful. It's more of a measure of degree towards success. And the definition of success is totally dependent on what the organization seeks to achieve. So if they are achieving Um, progress towards achieving their intended outcomes so which in terms of social impact it's going to be some sort of positive change to the intended community they are progressing towards success and those that like might be quote unquote unsuccessful they might still have an opportunity to make an impact it's just dependent on like the resource and other factors in place so we never just say like you're successful and you're unsuccessful it's just Providing more recommendations on how they can widen that impact. It's, yeah, it's not like a hard judgment. (laughs) Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I feel like that's a, the way I phrased that was definitely skewed because. I mean you're trying to help people at the end of the day. So yeah. like, to, to just say it's unsuccessful is, is yeah, it's pretty kind of harsh. A, it is very harsh. <laughs> yeah.
2: But no, like totally understandable as well. You know. Like we're yeah. really used to the grading system as well. So it's very, yeah. very understandable.
0: Yeah. And I guess because, like, like maybe when you look at traditional businesses and you look at like things like financial metrics, it's very like, okay, well this project was bad. It didn't make us, you know, X amount of money and whatnot. So Yeah. 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 yeah no. It's very different.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. So you mentioned that you're now transitioning back to the public sector field and joining the Victorian Department of Health. Can you tell us a little bit about your new role and how you think your existing role will help you with your new one?
2: Yes, um, I'm really excited to be starting my role at the department. So I'll be working at the Centre for Evaluation and Research Evidence, who is placed under Department of Health, but they also do work for the Department of Fairness, Families and Housing because of yeah, the split between the DHHS whole political thing Um, so in this role in addition to -to end-to-end delivery of evaluations there will be an opportunity for evaluation capacity building across the department so to build different units within the department's ability to implement measures to engage in and sustain in evaluation so um, like I mentioned earlier this needs to be like room for improvement of culture around data collection so this role will include like educating people about the importance of data collection and also carrying out internal evaluations within the department. Um, So in my current role, so working in a big consulting firm like Deloitte has been a huge learning curve for me. I came into this role with limited evaluation experience and no consulting experience. And since I've worked on a range of evaluations with different clients and have been able to apply my theoretical knowledge that I learned at uni, I am so incredibly lucky to have worked with an incredibly experienced, knowledgeable and dynamic team. And I also had a really supportive leadership team, which were encouraging and patient while I was developing my evaluative thinking and other evaluation related skills. I am definitely so much more confident now than when I started in the way that I approach my work. And I think I'll be going into this new role with more confidence and more certainty in my evaluative thinking and skills. So mm. that's really good to be able to translate that. <laughs>
0: yeah, no for sure. And congratulations on your new role.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
0: And I guess going from that, could you just give us a little tell us a little bit about some of the problems that Australia currently faces in terms of like maybe like health inequality and what can be done to try and tackle these issues?
2: Yeah. So one of the main problems that Australia faces in relation to health inequity is the gap in health status between the Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. And this is across all statistics. So for example, there's an estimated gap of approximately 17 years between Indigenous and non-Indigenous life expectation in Australia. And for all age groups below 65, the age-specific death rates for Indigenous Australians are at least twice those experienced by non-Indigenous populations. So this is all linked to systemic discrimination. Like historically, Indigenous Mm -hmm. people do not have equal opportunity to be as healthy as non-Indigenous Australians. This occurs through the inaccessibility of mainstream services and lower access to health services, including like primary health care and inadequate provision of health infrastructures in some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. In cases where health services are even available, there's a lack of that culturally appropriate service that I mentioned previously. And what can be done to alleviate these issues, it's not a simple solution. Mm-hmm. Um, increasing access to culturally health, culturally appropriate health services and education is a very good start. Um, but to create sustainable change, there needs to be an empowering environment for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people, and one which focuses on the accountability of governments to achieve improved outcomes within a reasonable time period. The approach needs to be holistic to reflect both the social determinants of health, as well as the broader issues faced by Indigenous communities, such as intergenerational trauma. So this can be achieved by government and organisations working together with Indigenous organisations and communities to address these issues. It will take time, commitment and resources, but it can be, it can definitely be done. I guess
0: moving from that, um, what are some of the skills that you think are crucial in being a social impact analyst? Yeah.
2: so... There's two really... I was reflecting a lot on this question, actually, and there's two key skills that I think are really important. And I guess this is not just for this type of work, but just also in life. (laughs) Um, So curiosity and flexibility are the two key skills that I think are really important for this role. And in relation to this role, it's so important to be curious and keep an open mind when you're doing an evaluation. So you might go into an evaluation thinking that you know exactly how it's going to pan out. But once you start like collecting the data and doing the analysis, you realize and, um, and you start questioning the information as well. Um, you realize that it's not exactly what you thought that was going to happen at the start. So staying curious and keeping an open mind is key. And the other thing is flexibility. Like I mentioned earlier, things also don't always go as we plan. So when you're carrying out the evaluation as much as you plan for it and you plan for the risk and you implement ways to mitigate the risk, Once you're carrying out the evaluation, plans change. So you need to be flexible, go with the changes to get to the end product. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you think there are some like technical skills that you use more often than others?
2: Yeah, I think in terms of technical skills, writing and communicating your findings, that's Mm -hmm. a really important technical skills. Um, I definitely, when I started in this role, I thought I knew how to write, especially coming mm-hmm. from academia. Like you know, doing your I did my masters, and I was like, oh yeah, I definitely know how to write. I wrote a thesis, but yeah. then it's completely different in consulting because you're trying to communicate your findings in such a like a sharp way. Like mm-hmm. as much as you write a whole report, people don't have time usually to read the whole report, yeah. so you need to be able to communicate your findings really sharp mm-hmm. and um, effectively as well. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I guess given 180's values and our interest in social impact, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love this question. So is there any advice that
2: you have for students who are interested in incorporating social impact into their career? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess the most important advice I could be I could give is understand what is motivating you to pursue a career in social impact. And once you have a strong enough why, everything else will sort of make sense and fall into its place. And also if you haven't found like your why, take more opportunities to get into that point. So whether it's a volunteering opportunities like volunteering at 180DC, taking subjects in different areas at uni that you might not typically take, or attending networking opportunities, that will all help you figure out your why. It might not seem like it helps at the time. It might just seem like you're doing something that's completely different and doesn't make sense, but it all adds up at the end of the day. And once you've figured out your why, is Trying to figure out how you're going to get to that why, so finding the best way to achieve your goals in a way that suits you. For some people, it's like you know for some people, they might have a big focus on just their career and trying to get to that end goal. Others might prioritize a work-life balance, and that's just totally fine as well. You can achieve what you want to achieve in a way that suits you best. And yeah, it's just taking the different opportunities out there. That are different for different people um, I have to say LinkedIn is like a really good platform as well especially for networking um, so yeah connect with people that have interests that you have as well I strongly encouraging I strongly encourage messaging people who have careers. In areas that interest you. Most people are open to talking to students and people that are interested to pursue similar careers as they are. And the worst that could happen is they usually don't reply. And that's typically because they're busy. So don't take it personally. The most important thing is you just keep trying. Um, yeah, like it took me a while to find my career in an area that i'm interested in and i volunteered at chase i took risk with jobs i like never thought i would be in consulting and i just took it because it sounded really interesting and who knows in a few more years my interest might change again with new experiences that i encounter but for now i'm quite happy where i'm at
0: (laughs) yeah for sure um well i think that's all the time that we have for today. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come here and chat with us. It was an absolute pleasure to learn about social impact and you know, your time at Deloitte. And again, congratulations for your new role. Um, thank you. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> super amazing. exciting.
2: Yeah, no, thank you so much. And if anyone um, wants to connect with me, um, feel free to connect on LinkedIn. I'm happy to always have a chat if you're interested in the area.